everybody, and welcome back to the Trinity League Orange County High School Football Podcast. I'm Dan Albano with the Orange County Register and OC Varsity, joined again by our insider, Scott Barajas, on a special Labor Day edition of our football podcast. Um, Scotty, thanks for uh, jumping on uh, on a Wednesday, on a, excuse me, on Monday. We're recording our show on Monday, September 5th. And uh, coming off an exciting week two with some pretty uh, interesting, uh, kind of some surprising results, working our way toward another big week of week three. The season is flying by. Scotty, how are you doing on this Labor Day? Oh, Dan, I'm just pretty much uh, relaxing, uh, trying to beat the heat, uh, staying away from the heat without the heat. Well, it's, it's a, you know, Thursday and Friday, uh, watch some college football on saturday um you know enjoyed a barbecue yesterday so you know it's 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 uh, and then it's kind of relaxing today and uh talking some football with you so that's good nice it is good uh it is a good time to be a uh football fan so of course welcome all high school football fans to our podcast please like and sub- subscribe you can find us on all your podcast um, locations apple podcast spotify the list goes on so please you know, support the show, um, pass it on, um, a review, uh, tell your your hardcore football fan uh, friend who uh, about our show and what uh, Scotty and I are out there doing uh, out here doing with the podcast. But it is a great time. You know, college football um, was exciting over the weekend. Got pro football coming on, and then the high school season um, kicking in. So it's a good time for um, high school football. So Scotty, I want to start. In our review of week two on Saturday, I took this game in at Westminster High. Los Alamitos taking on Basha of Arizona. Um, interesting school, Basha. It's a public school of about 2,500. Um, got a lot of good seniors. They have a good junior class as well. They had, they had 14 players that have scholarship offers. So they were a pretty loaded team, even though it was their first game. And then you got Los Alamitos um, coming off. A tough loss on national TV uh, to American Heritage of Florida the previous week in the ESPN Geico kickoff, and uh, where they struggled um, to tackle, and they did get the running clock put on them in the third quarter. So Los Al was really looking for a bounce back, and it looked like they were going to get it, Scotty, big time. They're up twenty-one nothing. They come out. Damian Henderson is running the ball well for Los Al. Good-looking running back, committed to. Uh, Colorado State, he runs hard. Pretty big kid, tall kid. Uh, Henderson is probably around 6'2", 6'3". And uh, I like him a lot. A lot of potential for him. And then, of course, uh, Malachi Nelson, USC commits, throwing touchdowns, two touchdowns um, to his fellow USC commit, Makai Lemon. But on both of these uh, touchdowns, Makai picks up um, unsportsmanlike penalties. The first one, he spun the ball. It was a back shoulder fade, made a great catch, and he spun the ball after a delay because uh, it was, wasn't quite clear right away if it was a touchdown or not. But Makai did get the call. Losal did get the call from the side judge near, right near the play, right near the pi- front pylon, and he spun it. He did uh, spun the ball, but he did pick it up real quick. Um, and it was kind of an intense matchup. I'm not positive, but I think... Um, it was it was an intense matchup for Makai because I'm pretty sure he was working on uh, the the corner. I'm not positive, but it was supposed to be Cole Martin, who is a very physical Oregon commit as senior, five ten one eighty five, and Cole's, he impressed me. He came up and made some pretty physical tackles. So he um, so he but he did get back. He got did get beat on the back shoulder fade, and then late in the first quarter, um, it was about a fifteen yard simple. Um, short post, and there, and Makai caught that one for a touchdown, and he immediately, not but not for too long, but he quickly uh, pointed back uh, at the defender, um, barely, and almost immediately, because the referee was looking at him right. Well, so were other players. I watched the replay a few times. Everyone was actually looking. Who was on the field? Who could was gonna? They were looking to see if Makai was gonna do something. I saw a lineman who was near the play. He was zeroed in, just looking. And as soon as he pointed, 
I mean, it's almost instantaneously. The flag comes out. Makai gets ejected. And then, you know, and that flipped the game because uh, you got two unsportsmanlike penalties. And um, Losal's up 21 nothing to Basha. Basha um, reels off four straight touchdowns. And you just kind of felt like the, they had the momentum. They were going to somehow find a way to win the game, which they did. Even though Losal did briefly in the fourth quarter gain – uh, regained the lead uh, on a 20-yard touchdown pass from Malachi Ness, Mel, Nelson to uh, Cassius uh, Ashisanti, um, who, uh, f- shout out to Cassius, I thought he looked pretty good. Um, I thought he made a s- pretty big step from the American Heritage game. And he ended up being the number one receiver and did a lot of good things. That was a nice catch and a nice throw between the two. But um, Low Sal's defense, which uh, was struggled, in that American Heritage game, you know, um, couldn't hold it, and you kind of thought that might be the case, and it was. Um, they did play better. They didn't give up, you know, 400 yards rushing, and it was 33-28, so they did do quite a bit better, but they did still give up several big plays, which is concerning. But it wasn't as bad as American Heritage. And, of course, American Heritage now is ranked 14th in the country. They're, they're climbing. Um, but it was a, a a run by Desmond Williams, uh, the cor- dual threat quarterback junior for Bash- Basha that sealed it, um, kind of in the middle of the fourth quarter. But I know you were uh, observing this game, and I'm interested to know what what you thought of this, Scotty. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was funny because I was texting with, you know with buddies as I was going back and forth, and and I basically said, you know, that Little Sal, I guess, is going to bounce back because it was 21-0. It looked like they were off and running. And then when I saw those two penalties, I was like, he's not coming back. And he didn't come back, and that changed the whole game. You know, it's tough, but I'm going to say this. And, and um, you know, Lemon's been pushing the envelope since, I want to say, even seven on seven with, with his antics and his talking. Um, you know, and so it's bound to, it was bound to happen, and it caught up. And, I, you know, you'll, you'll see it with other kids and other teams, and they're getting these penalties. He just happened to get back to back. Yeah, maybe a little bit of ticky-tack. But you know, look what happened because it sure changed that that game. And uh, you just, you know, I mean, you have to, you know, take responsibility. Being a senior, chalk it up as a learning experience, um, and, and basically just, you know, keep going. And I hope other schools and other players see this and learn from it because that's a shame that that happened because it took also took away from that good matchup with, uh, you know, with the DBs and their secondary because after that. Nelson struggled um, without a doubt. Their their passing game. We even saw the the following week two balls, two you know they, he he had nineteen completions last week, seventeen with the lemon. The, the two other guys because they got locked up. Yeah, I know. I understand. It's a young. It's a young. You know, um, receiving core. I know uh, Cash has stepped up a little bit, but he still struggling. He they, they still struggled trying to get the ball. Um, even when he was rolling out, he was like five of nine. Um, I think the whole second half, uh, they stuck with their run and they were doing a good job with Henderson. Um, and I think that run game is going to be beneficial down the road, but, um, you know, does that means, you know, because he got ejected, lemon got ejected. Is he out for this week against Servite? So, yeah, I got to check on that. Because if he is, at Servite, but it will give him a chance to work with the other receivers because, um, obviously, I mean, they're like cerebral on the same page, but with everybody else, he just he doesn't seem like it. You know, he overshot guys or, you know, some guys dropped balls or, you know, whatever it was, they just, he just wasn't in that sync with the offense. So, um, and, you know, Bash is, you know, take nothing against, you know, that's – this is the second week in a row they played against a top-notch secondary, which made it even more difficult. But, yeah. you know, Losal was running the ball. Um, but then on the flip side, their defense was also getting gashed from, you know, from their balanced play from, from Bash's quarterback, who would make some plays outside the pocket. Um, and their running back, then they ran for like 243. Um, on their, their, I can't remember the running back's name. I know he's going to Idaho. Yeah, Deshaun um, Buchanan. Yeah, um, yeah. He ran for two hundred thirty-three yards. Um, also caught a touchdown um, on a deflection as well, um, and he had a lot of carries uh, in that game. 
but but you know, and then and the off their offensive line kind of could you know controlled enough um, for them to get those yards. And Olosau played a little bit better. They tackled a lot better than last week. They they ran you know they pursued the ball better than they did last week. So um, you know you know Losal you know if they can and then they cut down on the stupid penalties because there was a bunch of personal fouls. I think they had eleven. I don't know, 11 or 10 penalties, but they were pretty much, you know, you know, you got to cut down on the, on, on that kind of stuff, you know, rally together. I, you know, we'll see, you know, like I said, I think they'll all get back to this week, but, um, you know, when you're facing, you know, against, you know, two top teams, two top offenses with all that skill back to back, it, it, you know, it, it's tough. And, um, you know, we'll see. Cause I mean, I know it kind of makes, the Sunset League a lot more interesting because there's another team in there that yeah. we'll talk about that were that surprised that did surprisingly well and uh, yeah. it's going to be pretty good when 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 uh, when they match up with with uh, those two guys. So yeah, the the uh, I thought the discipline needed to be better for Los Al on Saturday because obviously it's a discipline issue uh, with. Makai, which I want to ask you a follow-up question on in a second, but that's and then they did have some personal fouls. Uh, they had a roughing the quarterback. Um, they had a uh, on the game-winning drive. It's early in that drive they got called for consecutive uh, penalties. Um, there was I think a, they they jumped on first down, and then they later I believe they roughed uh, a receiver. So they 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 had a lot of penalties, um, including. Um, you know the unsportsman likes, but uh, obviously the, also some late hits, and you just add all that together with um, you know late hits and false starts and personal fouls and holdings. That's a lot uh, against a good team. Against good teams, that that's going to be hard to win those games. And we're gonna you can't. I, I think it's very difficult to beat um, good teams that are nationally ranked and well coached when you're you're doing. A lot of penalties like that. Um, exactly. And you have, you're losing personnel. I mean, how many strikes can you have against you? But I was on a halftime show with uh, my buddy Kent Bakel, um, Low Sal um, announcer. And I, um, on Saturday, uh, does the stream on the, um, on the Low Sal Mito Sports Network. Shout out to Kent. Um, but I, I compared Makai, the way he plays with some of the intensity that he brings to a receiver. And he is almost a similar statue, uh, uh, stature, but he kind of reminds me a little bit with the edge he plays with to um, Amon Ross St. Brown. Um, Amon Ross is probably a little bit bigger, actually. But um, do you, do you, and, and I know that, you know, when they play, when they're that tough and they're that intense and, and competitive, you love that. That helps them succeed. Um, and I know sometimes Amon Ross struggled at times with, you know, running too hot, too. It's, it's a balance. Um, but I, I don't know if that makes you think anything, because obviously you saw a lot of Amon Ra like I did, and um, I think Amon Ra did get uh, better at times, but it was always kind of a little bit of struggle. Um, but that, I mean, that's kind of um, a lot of his personality, you know, as well. This is this is the personality of the kids. But do you see anything comparisons you think uh, with Makai and Amon Ra St. Brown? I, I do, I do. Uh, yeah, they're they're similar and. You know they play with that similar edge, you know, and and it just ha- never happened to Almond Raw that he, you know, he'd always get the one, but he never got the second one. So either, you know, he was smarter. He knew, you know, you know, maybe Makai pushed it enough to where, you know, like he said, it was very subtle. But you know, in this day, you know, in this day and age, it's it, it's like that all over the place, you know, and and you know, it even happened in the Mission Viejo uh, Poly game. I, I know I mentioned that, you know, when we talk about that game for the same thing and I'll explain how you know that went down but that one did not get a penalty and you'll be surprised and then how I how I it, it, you know explain that one but I, I was waiting for a penalty and it never came but it was shocking um but but it's you know it's I don't I don't understand when these kids I I, I think it's maybe it's especially when you're on the field and you know and you're revved up and it's the adrenaline and it just takes over you know I guess it's one of those things like you said you have to be there in the moment to understand it but not everybody does it, you know, if you, you have to just, you have to control your emotions and it just seems nowadays this is getting out of hand and I don't know what there is, you know, when you go back to it, you know, well then do, do these coaches have to, 
you know, you do discipline the players, but now in this day and age, you can't discipline the players because then it goes back to like, well, then the kid gets mad and he's, you know, I'm going to transfer or the dad comes out, you know, the parents, you know, it's, it's just a different beast than it was 10, 20 years ago. And so you can see why coaches don't want to coach anymore. You can see, you know, it's just, it's, it's, nobody wants to take accountability. Um, you know, everybody wants to put the blame on everybody else. Uh, you know, like yeah. I'm saying, you know, like, I don't know, hey, I may be getting, you know, I may be getting criticized for this too, but then if you, you know, goes back to, you know, you almost want to say it goes back to the parents, you know, that's, I've heard that a lot, you know, it's like, okay, well, why is that kid acting that way? You know, was it, is it the way, you know, not every kid does, some of them do, some of them don't. What is it? Is it the upbringing? Is it the, you know, accountability? You know, I, you know, what is it? Why is it, you know, and I mean, we get it. We've get we've gotten it from all levels. We get it from privates. We get it from publics. You know, you know, but some gets put under the magnoscope, you know, microscope more often than others, and or things like this happen in in games like this to big time players, and then it gets even magnified. So I don't know where you know you know I don't know where it stops. How you control it? You know, do coaches just say it and? That's it. I mean, do they really sit down and have seminar, you know, to where you almost have to have seminars to where you almost show them game film and say this you cannot do. Have fun. Act like you've been there. Hand the ball back to the official or just, you you know, celebrate amongst your own teammates. And that's it. You know, no more of this jaw jacking or whatever, you know, causing problems, you know, you know, with the other team or whatever. I understand that's the nature of the game because it's like, you know, that's what ends up, you know, it's an intimidating factor. Um you know, you get into the other player's head. I get that, but you know, you got to control your emotions, and it's just it's 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 starting to just get out of hand. And so I don't, you know, I understand that's why the penalties are coming more quickly. But if the officials could, you know, teach, make it a teaching moment. I warn you once. Now the next time you do or you jaw jack, you're gonna get it. You know, then I, you can understand it. And if it happens again, then then you flag. Just don't be so quick to flag them, you know, or you offset it the first time, the next time around. Yeah, you know. we could give a warning first. Yeah, um, but, but some of it, it's just inconsistent. And so, you know, yeah. and, and, and the kids being so mouthy yeah. and celebration, it, it already makes it tough, you know. But again, you know, like I said, all these, you know, going back to when it, you know, because the guy, like you said, if you watch that official, he was eyeballing him the first, you know, the first time because he did spin it and then the official was looking at him yeah, and, he, and he just dropped the flag he didn't throw it he just took it out of his pants and dropped it and then Makai picked up the ball and looked at him like oh okay you know and then like he did he pointed and then sure enough you see the flag coming across the feet you know so it's like they were waiting you know so just you don't give them that leverage but when you get on but when you, you get on the radar I was at the Centennial you know Centennial Modern Day freshman game and it was the same way. It got heated, kids talking, you know, and, and then sure enough, the one sideline got into it with everybody. And, tr- and then the rest of the game, penalty, 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 penalty. It, because you get caught into that moment and they're on your radar and they don't want – they got a short fuse. So, you know, and it's just inconsistency. But, you know, the kids don't don't give them ammo, you know. Yeah. Well, you and, use the word accountability. That is an important word. I mean, the first one with Makai, which I didn't think was smart, which was that one was uh, confusing to me because, like I described, he had, everyone had to wait for the official to rule, and it was the side judge. So you got the call. So which in, in the call went your way. So you gotta you gotta be happy uh, and, and don't do anything. Once you get the break. Um, you you know you gotta handle it well and uh, don't I think you you know you should just be focused on hey I got a good call I got a break and don't don't and then of course it's right all this stuff is right very close to uh, officials right there that's a problem um, again not being smart and then um, it reminds me I talked to Myron Miller this year the former Tustin coach and he was reminiscing with me about Deshaun Foster because Deshaun's going into the the inaugural class of the state hall of fame for high school football. And he made a point, Myron, he's old school, retired former Tustin coach said, yeah, Deshaun Foster scored 59 touchdowns his senior year and 59 times handed the ball to the referees. Exactly. So that's the kind of stuff that you just know that, um, why, I mean, obviously I would, sounds like they had a rule, um, 
and there was, you know, they knew that Deshaun was going to be scoring a lot of touchdowns, and uh, there was expectations on um, every time you do it, Deshaun, you know, you need, you know, what you need to do, and maybe that was just Deshaun because he did sound, and but Makai seems like a great guy too, um, but they seem to have a rule like there's just no way. You I mean Deshaun? He it seems like he had to do that, like no, no questions uh, that they just expected him. Absolutely, you hand the ball to referee. Yeah, exactly. I like I said, you know, I don't know if these these kids sometimes. I mean, they all, all these kids. You know, with with now this Hall of Fame taking into effect, you know, and a lot of these, you know, now you're starting to see a lot of, you know, the highlight films from these players. You know, the gritty good game versus Long Beach Poly. You know, and and you know here, you know, like 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 Nate Frazier, for instance. You know, he's honored because he's you know none of those a lot of those kids weren't even born, but he knew of gritty good and he was. And he shouted out, it's a great honor to be wearing number six, you know, and so they understand, they've seen how these guys play. So when they, you know, you know, like they said, you don't see back in the day, you never saw those, you never saw that antic. So, you know, play like, like I said, they all say, play like you've been there, you know, and, and, and like I said, maybe it's going to take more. It's going to start taking, you know, here, showing these kids videos of these are the greats. You want to be part of the greats. Look at any of them. They didn't play, you know you know, with attitude and complaining and, you know, whatnot, you know, that's just, that's just how it was to be, you know, to be great. So I don't know, you know, we'll we'll, we'll just have to wait and see, yeah. you know, maybe this, you know, this is going to get enough talk to where, uh, out there that yeah. where, you know, it actually takes notice and, and these, these big time players are all, all players, you know, you know, tone it down. So. Probably will. I'm sure. I mean, it doesn't get uh, a much more high profile, than Makai Lemon, USC commit. I mean, the guy's one of the best players around. He's probably the best receiver in Orange County. Um, I had him in the top five in the hot 150. He's a, looks like, I mean, I don't know if he's a four-star or five-star, but he looked, I mean, I'm comparing him to Amon Ross St. Brown, the guy, and he just set the school record the previous game for, I think, most receptions. He broke Jeremy Child's record. Um, the guy's going to be in the end zone a lot, a, a lot, all year. So you got to get this down. You got to get it right, so you can get back to the end zone. If you do this stuff, you're going to be out after two, you know, two touchdowns. When you maybe you're going to have four or five touchdowns in the game. But hey, Sky, let us move on to the game you were at on Friday night, Modern Day Centennial. It was billed as a you know national type game. Uh, of course, it does have national rankings. Uh, Monarchs as high as number two in the country, um, but. We did have our questions um, about. I think, uh, I think Centennial was around seven to nine in the country. Uh, we did have you had definitely had some questions on how close it was going to be, um, and it turned out to be forty three to twenty. Uh, Modern Day goes to three and zero, and hands the Huskies their their first loss. The Huskies are two and one, but you took this one in. Um, again, it was a big night for Elijah Brown. Um, and you know, obviously, Modern Day's defense played pretty well, um, holding the Huskies down um, pretty well. So it sounded, uh, it seems like just based on the score, it was some it was kind of similar to the dominance that Modern Day showed in the, the recent scrimmage between these two. Um, but what did you? Uh, what were your observations out there? Yeah, you know, like I said, this one started off pretty close, but you know, like I said, Centennial was supposed to come into this one as seventh you know, nationally ranked, but it was far from that. You know, I think, you know, modern day flexed its strength. I think it made it hard for Centennial to get any offensive consistency. And, uh, they used an offensive performance from the Browns, uh, you know, and a steady running game from Jordan Davidson. You know, Elijah continued his proficiency through for 72%. He was 16 at 22, 287, three TDs, all three TDs to Marcus Brown, um, who ended up, on the night with six receptions for 180 yards. Um, and Marcus has been a pleasant surprise for the Monarchs. You know, he has the team lead with six touchdowns, uh, receptions in three games. And then in addition to Marcus, you know, there was Marcus Harris who continued to make highlight diving catches, um, that kept were key to, to the scoring drives. And, you know, then, then Davison added 142 rushing yards on the night and he had more than one TD, um, and then modern day kept Centennial on its toes, you know, with that balanced attack. And then, you know, like I said, that was cl- it was close early on. 
you know, the Centennial matched Monterey's first score right off the bat when Izzy Carter went 83 yards on a QB draw to tie it up. Yeah. Um, and then Centennial did continue to rotate its quarterbacks, Carter and Conklin. And in the past, Carson Conklin fared better against Modern Day, but this time it was Carter who kind of sustained more of Centennial's drives. You know, though Conklin was responsible for one scoring drive. And then, to much surprise, uh, they returned with uh, with um, Conklin on the next series, you know, rather than giving Carter his turn. But it was short-lived because Conklin was strip-sacked by Nasir Wyatt. And then, you know, speaking of, you know, Mr. Wyatt, you know, he finished with two sacks on the night, multiple pressures, another batted ball, six tackles. Um, and then others that played really well on defense was Zeus Venegas and uh, Levi Sua, you know, who were in there several times, you know, plugging up that, blowing up that centennial run game. And then Corey Lavender, the freshman DB who played on Gorman's, against Gorman's branch, played well again, had strong coverage out of the nickel, had two pass defenses and some key tackles. Um, you know, Centennial's still a solid team, uh, but they're just, I don't, like I said, they're just, they don't show enough to be that top 10. Um, and I saw them, they actually got dropped down to 14 by Max Preps. That's, I still think that's too high for them. They, they're right, they should be right around 25 or 30, um, but they'll still beat most of the teams around here or at least get challenged by, you know, possibly maybe a few more. Um, you know, but this one, I mean, it, you know, like I said, it, I wasn't I wasn't entirely shocked at, at, at that, but Centennial did play a little better on defense than they did show in that scrimmage. But the offense still did the, played the same as they did in the in, in the scrimmage. Um, you know, you take away a couple of big runs, and you know, Modern Day uh, almost has a has a shutout, even though they scored uh, twenty points. And then you know, my you know, like I said, Marcus Brown was by probably my player of the game, okay. and that defense was probably Nasir White, you know, or or Zeus. Um, because they, they were both in there, but why it's been doing it consistently week after week for these three games. Okay. Awesome. Well, great insight, Scotty. Good report on that one. On, fr- on Friday night, I was at Orange Lutheran against Edison. This game was at Huntington Beach High School. It was a game that was really hard for me to pick. Um, I was, and I, I, of course, on the in the prediction, um, you know, hindsight, on that one, I you know I'm kicking myself. I, I I thought Edison had a very good chance to win this game, and I even talked to an Edison coach or two, and I think they knew from the way I talked about it either on the podcast or on um, on the OC Varsity YouTube. But I I just knew Edison was gearing for this one just based on last year's um, results, which was a narrow um, you know late field goal that I know uh, that you know Orange Lutheran won the non-league game, and I know Edison thought they should have won that game. And um, and then the way Edison, you know, their schedule was wasn't too strong. But I guess maybe losing gear is better than I gave, given, didn't give them credit for. But it was a home game. They ended. I'm pretty sure it was senior night as well. Uh, I saw that. I was like, oh boy. Uh, okay, uh, senior night for Orange Lutheran, uh, reigning uh, division uh, CIF Division Two champion. But it ended up being. Um, so it's a deceivingly uh, deceiving score, but Edison won thirty-four to thirteen. I say deceiving because it was thirteen thirteen tied early in the fourth quarter, and um, and then Edison ended with a twenty-one nothing run. Um, Parker Awad uh, threw a uh, a streak, a long touchdown on a streak route to uh, York, and then um, it was a couple runs. Uh, Two, you know, a couple t- uh, short touchdown runs um, by Carter Hogue, who looked really good um, as a two-way player for Edison uh, senior. So shout out to uh, Carter. Um, he had an interception, a diving interception. Um, he played safety, and then um, he also uh, ran for like a career high 130 so yards. And um, and then there was another interception uh, late in the game by um, Dylan Walters. Um, senior uh, defensive back, and he had it returned it. It was deep in his own territory, and he returned it like seventy-five yards to the Orange Lutheran twenty-five, and then they punched it in. So it was deceiving, but there's also some uh, real th- good things that Edison did in this game, and some things that will certainly can challenge Orange Lutheran. So Edison, they pick off three passes. Um, Two of them led to touchdowns. 
they committed no turnovers. So there you go on the turnover battle. Um, they had, I had them down about four penalties for about 35 yards. And I think their worst penalties, they, they, um, you know, they kicked a couple kickoffs late, um, out of bounds, but, um, man, I don't think Edison had, um, I don't think they had any holding and they had one personal foul late hit, which I know it was on a DB that I was up in the booth and it, that one, uh, late hit drew, they were going berserk. Uh, they were really upset. The coaches in the box, um, cause it was unnecessary. Um, they had, you know, they had it well defended that no, no need to, um, and they were deep in their territory as well. There's no need to, um, you know, the guys, you know, pushing your, push them out of bounds, deep in your territory. Um, so they didn't like that one, but that was it. And on the night, Orange Lutheran, I had him for 12 penalties um, for over 100 yards. And then they had the three turnovers. So Edison was just much sharper. And um, they struck, you know, Parker Awad was, you know, um, very, you know, 17 of 24 for over 200 yards. Hit some big plays, um, like I meant the one to uh, York. And he also threw a pretty long touchdown to Ashton Hurley. And um, I really think the uh, – so that's what's the challenge is, you know, for Orange Lutheran, they got to play a lot sharper um, to – you know, they had to play a lot sharper and they're going to, you know, strive to do that. Um, to do that. Um, the three picks were TJ Latif, who I think is um, – he's very gifted and he's going to be really good. He's a sophomore quarterback and he does have some – Bryce Young and him. Um, my colleague Steve Fryer actually made a little comparison of that. Um, there is a little bit of similarity, uh, especially on some of the running. He does some misdirection um, where he's you know sprinting one side, then makes a cut, and that that definitely uh, is a lot to handle. He he can move uh, pretty um, some of that lateral and some of those cuts. He's pretty shifty and tricky, and that's kind of like Bryce Young when he's running out. In the open field, he in high school, he was hard to tackle, um, and he would be doing some um, some different things. Um, so there's some of that. Uh, but uh, TJ had some forces, and I know they were in a little bit of a comeback mode. And the other thing that I, you know, I think concerning for Olu is, uh, and I talked to Coach Sherman before the game, and they wanted to run the ball better in this game, and they didn't run the ball well. Um, so they. You know, TJ, he, he, he battled all night. Um, he got replaced late in kind of the, the late in the game where it was out of, um, it, was, it was decided. But he led him in rushing with 30 yards. And I think as a team, Olu ran for like 65 yards. So they didn't get Becerra going. And um, that's against an Edison front that is um, active and athletic like you would expect Edison to be, but they're undersized defensively. Edison has a big offensive line. Um, they, they do have an impressive, but those guys really don't go two ways. The defensive front is, but it's just, a, it's just an undersized D that's, um, well coached and, um, they're, they're athletic and active and, um, but, uh, Olu couldn't run it against them, even though Becerra is a big back. Um, and Becerra had some pressure. I think he got sacked about four or five times. And, um, so that was a component. So, um. But it ended up being, to me, Scotty, uh, you know, 34-13 um, against uh, – they were close in the rankings in Orange County, Edison 6, Orange Lutheran 5. I'm surprised that it was – it ended up being that way, but I know how the game kind of got out of hand in the fourth quarter, and I know the mistakes. Edison played essentially uh, an A game because they have no, no turnovers, very few penalties. They made their big plays. Their defense did their thing. And Orange Lutheran, probably by their standards, three turnovers, over 100 yards of penalties. They probably played a C game, May, you know, or B minus. That was so. That's why they got beat. But yeah, what's your impression one, of this game? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I'll give you my my breakdown. It was pretty much, you know, like I said, up to that seven minutes. Um, you know, they. Both defenses challenged each other until the very end, but then, like you said, who rose up? It was Edison. They turned the tide. They capitalized on those two second half intercepts, you know, to seal the win. Um, they scored a total of 21 points off of turnovers, you know. But I think what was to me what was more surprising was the fact that Edison controlled the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball yeah. the whole game. 
I couldn't believe at, at Olu's big, you know, their their size and their strength. I mean, they were getting manhandled by Edison. Um, you know, and then you know, and then offensively, you know, as mentioned, because Carter Hogue, who is, to me is an average back at best, ran for 128 yards, and Olu made him look all world. You know, he averaged 7.5 per carry. But if you're you're making holes and you're making your blocks, that's what happens to 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 backs like that. Uh, you know, he got his you know his 100 yards, and um, then Parker Awad had a pretty good time to throw. You know, he had the he. He only had 100, 103 yards, but he was very efficient because he was only four of seven in the second half with that one big TD throw. But that's because they were running the ball. Um, you know, defensively they kept the pressure on TJ Latif all game. Like you said, the smaller but quicker defensive ends, Erwin Jackson, and especially um, Jake Giles. Um, it, he was flushing Latif almost every play, either up into the pocket or outside. Yeah. Um, you know, Edison also took away the deep ball because. They weren't going to give up anything deep, so it left Latif yeah. dumping half of his completions to short gains over the middle. Um, you know, but interestingly, Latif started the game perfect, eight for eight. Yeah. You know, finished nine of you know eight of nine in that first half, 142 yards, one TD. But then he was ten of 24 for 100 yards in the three picks, 41 percent in that second half. So night and day. Um, and that ended up kind of being the difference in that last quarter. You know, the only Edison mishap was aiding Olu's only touchdown. You know, I think they gave up a third and 22 to the Lancers on a nice catch by Jackson Wing for like a 24-yard gain. And then the next play, Edison was called for uh, a personal foul, which that moved the ball to the you know 14-yard line. And then Latif hit uh, uh, Conrad, Longevity, Hernandez for that short pass. Yeah. He broke several tackles, got in the end zone. You know, and that was all the whole loop offense, you know, would have for the whole night. You know, yeah, that brought to it 13-13, and they just kept going back and forth, back and forth. And then, you know, 7-44, they broke it open uh, with that 58-yard pass to Mason York. Um, and then they capitalized on the first of the two INTs, you know, extending the lead to 27-13 at the 5 away mark. You know, Ho punched it in. Then they got another interception. Looked like it was going to be a pick six, um, and but then Edis, you know, I guess you know they tackled the uh, the defender down on the two yard line or fourteen yard line. Gave Edis, gave Edison the short field. Hope punched it in again, and that was your ball game basically. You know, Edison's you know running game may have gotten overshadowed by the defense of, of play, um, but it was key for setting up those 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 drives alive. Um, you know, and then after watching Orange Lincoln's defense the past two weeks, I thought they would be able to control the line of scrimmage. You know, but Edison has a stout offensive line. You know, of Nathan Gates, Luke Ryan Jones, Makai Sadio, and Zach Gunnell, because they did a phenomenal job. They, you know, they gave up two sacks, but those two sacks were on good plays by uh, you know the two freshman uh, defensive guys that are going to be really good for Olu linebacker Tanola Ely, who we've talked about, and Uma Jennings. Um, which ended up that at one sack was actually the first series of the game, yeah. um, you know. But you know, for Olu, they're going to experience the growing pains of a young QB until he can mature. But I, you know, I think the Lancers are going to bounce back um, this week when, when we talk we talk about their next opponent. Yeah, they are. And, and Olu, as I and another thing that Coach Sherman mentioned before the game is, yeah, they're young. So um, and we're you know, obviously talking about TJ, um, a sophomore quarterback. Um, the, the the key number for Olu from Coach Sherman was on Friday night they were starting between 11, 11 either freshmen or sophomores. So um, they're young, um, and we'll see how they improve. But, yeah, Edison, you know, it was a great effort for them. All right, Scott, now to end our uh, look back at week two, um, I think you got some good intel for us, and we uh, – our listeners and we are glad that we have you on the podcast. I haven't uh, checked much on this game, but but I was surprised by the outcome of this game, and that was the modern uh, the Mission Viejo Long Beach Poly game. I thought Diablos um, were going to take this one. Um, I think Diablos are really kind of gearing up for this year, and uh, I thought they could beat Long Beach Poly. That didn't happen. Long Beach Poly. 35-30 at Mission Viejo, and I think you checked out some of the highlights of this game. I'm anxious to do it. I haven't done it so far, but uh, you got a breakdown for us this one because this drops um, Mission Viejo to two and one, and Polly now three and zero. Oh. 
um, to start the year. Got a more league, uh, more league team. What do you think of this one, Scotty? Yeah, you know, so I'm sure this one's going to be on Bally's replay this week. Okay. You know, they always show that 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 the best of the week on that on what yesterday. Got to wait till Wednesday, but um, you know, this one, you know. You know, it was the second half. Was just, I mean, the second half basically was full of momentum changes. You know, especially for Long Beach Poly winning on that last drive. So when you get to see the game, you know, you'll get to see you know what I'm talking about, and um, you'll see that uh, Mission Viejo had Poly on the ropes after having a 14, 24-14 lead, um, and they had several chances to put them the game out of reach, but they just didn't. And you know, from the get go, though, Mission Viejo wanted to control the game with its running game. And they did a solid job with their rotation of Isaiah Carrion and and Mighty Might. Yeah. I can't believe this guy does as much as he is. Like five foot five, one hundred forty five pounds. Yeah. Chase Falowski. Yeah. You know they combined for one hundred seventy two yards rushing. You know and and um, you know Caden Zamanza was effective in the first half. He was ten of fifteen um, with his only touchdown in the first half, but he was only five of fifteen in the second half. Uh, Mission Viejo opened the second half with a bang, completed back-to-back big completions, you know, to KJ Reed and Jackson Holman. You know, they got it down to the 26-yard line, but the drive stalled after Polly sacked Zamanza, and then they forced a Mission Viejo to turn the ball over on downs. So they get nothing there. You know, then Mission gets the ball back after a Travis Anderson made a nice interception. He came from way across the field, you know, from a safety spot to pick off the ball, you know, over, you know, that was way overthrown the receiver but he picked it off at the two yard line more on this play later when i end up when i end this and end this uh this is the play that i was talking about earlier when we were we were talking about uh uh, the unsportsmanlike so so then but mission can't capitalize as they as they um dropped a would-be first down and so they ended up having to punt you know then you know for the mission's defense who played solid most of the night except that they could not stop Polly on third downs, and that was key. So Polly converted on two third and longs, including uh, the 12-yard touchdown pass from Darius Curry to Jason Robinson to make it 24-21 with five minutes, 23 seconds in the third quarter. The next possession, Mission gets down to Polly's 10-yard line. On second down, Samanza rolls out, has the Mission Vail tight end wide open in the flat. He drops the ball with no one around, which would have been a – had would be TD. Next play, Polly sacks Simons on third down, and Mission Vail has to settle for a field goal. Twenty-seven, they up the lead, twenty-seven, twenty-one. Score remained twenty-seven, twenty-one at the end of the third quarter. So Polly's next scoring drive, they convert another third down, then a fourth and three, both on pass completions. Wow. And following that, Curry hits Jaden Robinson for a seventeen-yard touchdown. Polly up twenty-eight, twenty-seven at the 940 mark in the fourth. So Mission Viejo goes back to the run game. Velasquez picks up 40 yards on three carries, gets the ball down to the poly 30-yard line. But then Mission Viejo misses out with two incomplete passes, including another drop ball that would have looked like it would have been a TD. Again, Diablos have to settle for a 25-yard field goal. So they regain a lead 30-28 with 6.33 left to play. Next possession, Mission finally stops Polly from converting on third downs with a nice pass breakup by Jackson Hamby. On the ensuing play, Dejan blocks, Lee blocks the punt. Mission Viejo ball on Polly 14-yard line with 518 left. But the Diablos cannot capitalize. Mission Viejo gets a delay a game, gets a sacked, and then eventually has to settle for another field goal, 33-28. 307 mark. Polly takes the ball, you know, has to convert a fourth and two to keep its drive alive with Curry scrambling, you know, from the rush, completes the pass for the first down. A couple plays later, Mission almost picks off a screen pass. Jaden Williams bats the ball in the air. He's bobbling it, can't bring it in. <laughs> but oh. it would have gone for not anyways because Mission Viejo was ruled for a roughing the passer. So that moves the ball to the 15-yard line with 120 left. Three plays later, Sample, the running back, punches it in from the eight yards out. Game winner, 22 seconds left. Oh. So so but that's what I said. Mission Viejo had their chances. They did. But Polly made plays when they needed to, converting all those third downs. You know, And Darius Curry is a heck of a QB. I mean, he finished 30 of 40, 305. 
two touchdowns. He was 75%, you know, and he kept a lot of plays alive. And that was really the difference. Pauly made the plays when they needed Michigan did not. So, you know, and and Michigan had a solid running game. And it seemed like, you know, I mean, it was a woulda, coulda, shoulda, but if you, if Michigan catch, even though, you know, they, they stopped a lot of drives because Velasquez was running the ball. I mean, he got those 40 yards, three, three, and then they go two, two back to back passes, two incompletes. But, you know, like I said, it shoulda, woulda, coulda, but, you know, if you capitalize, but there were so many drives that made, so many chances they had to put him away, you just didn't. You know, so, I mean, there, you know, it's, and without it, I mean, Mikey Matthews at home, and I mean, those guys are, you know, those guys are great, because, I mean, even the catches, Holman was kind of kept in check, he had two catches for 40 yards, and those two catches that he did have, I mean, he looked phenomenal, I mean, he's strong, you know, in stride, but for some reason, you know, they just, you know, they just, they just had all our time trying to get consistency, and then when, you know, when you don't get that consistency, it, it takes teams out of the rhythm, so, It'll be interesting to see what happens down the road now, because you know, now Pauly's going to be that is yeah. set in that fourth spot, and they won't lose any more games from here on out. So you know, and then yeah. Michigan, I think they just flipped them, so they're at five. So yeah. they I may know. see each other again. Um, I know, but uh, yeah, this ain't Maybe. seven on seven. You know, Michigan Viejo looked like I mean they were like the number one team in the nation on seven on seven, but they were. That's why they. That's why they played <laughs> the games in pads, man. So. Yeah, speaking of the Jackrabbits, um, yeah, they play uh, a Losinger um, at Losinger uh, this week on Friday. Um, Losinger is 0-2, but have played a, a very tough schedule. Um, and then they get in the Moore League, and you know that what's going to happen in the Moore League. They're going to run the table um, on the, uh, the Moore League. So if they win this week against uh, Losinger, Paulie's going to go ten and zero in the regular season. They had a narrow win against Sarah. They demolished uh, Clovis uh, on the road, and um, yeah, the Jackrabbits just have to get by um, losing here this week. Um, yeah, losing her uh, opened with a loss to um, open with a loss to Edison thirty one twenty two. So they played decently. Played. A little bit closer than um, Orange Lutheran did, and then they lost to Ayala, and then um, last week on the Thursday. So Losinger is going to have an extra day on Polly, and uh, that was forty to thirty-three Ayala uh, road game for Losinger. So, and now they're at home, uh, which will be their first home game. So that could be an interesting game. Polly Losinger is a big game to watch on Friday, and like you said, yeah, mission. Mission Poly, maybe they face each other again in the playoffs, uh, Scotty, in Division One. Um, but uh, I'd like that these two teams are playing a lot, these two schools. I hope they continue the non-league rivalry with Poly and Mission, which which dates back for a while, which I, I, I definitely like. Um, it dates back to the, the Bob Johnson days at Mission and uh, the Snoop Dogg days uh, when this rivalry was really uh, hot. I hope they continue it. I hope Orange Lutheran Edison continue to play. I hope Modern Day Centennial plays. Um, those are three games that I think are staples on the non-league schedule and make for yeah. great uh, games every year. But let's look um, now, Scotty, toward week three already um, uh, coming up on Friday. So speaking of Centennial, they're going to be home. They're 2-1 and one now on Friday, taking on Jay Sarah, which is now 2-1 and one as well. I was surprised Jay Sarah coming off a uh, narrow win against um, Newport Harbor. That game was much closer um, than I thought it was going to be. Um, what do you think of this game where, you know, uh, credit to Jay Sarah for stepping up, playing a, you know, really tough schedule. You know, they played, you know, two teams out of the Mission League. Now they're playing Centennial. But that Newport Harbor game, Scotty, I'm not sure how that game was so close. Uh, 28-21. Home game. I don't know if the Lions took them seriously. Is Newport better than we thought? Um, I know Colton Joseph can be problematic at a quarterback because he scrambles so well. They do have two good receivers there, but I didn't think that Newport had the line to deal with. You know, really. You know, that's one of the things I like about Jay Sarah. They have good linemen. Um, they have some two-way linemen, but they have big offensive line. They have an active defensive line. Got a couple of good linebackers. I know Jay Sarah's not too big, but they are athletic, 
And uh, but what do you think of this game, uh, Jay Sarah on Friday at Centennial? Yeah. So if you're going back to the to the Newport Harbor game, you know, if for the second week in a row, Jay Sarah actually blew a big lead. Yeah. You know, but they still held on for its win. So. And that's not going to you're going to be able to do that against Centennial. So you know yeah. this is an interesting matchup, and it's going to show how far Jay Sarah's really come. But now you do wonder because of what happened in the Harbor game. You know, do they fight? You know, do they give up the quick score to Centennial offense that's known to do that against everybody else? Um, you know, for the second week in a row, though, the Lions' passing game's been non-existent, so that's concerning. Uh, it was they were seven of twenty for ninety-three yards against Newport Harbor which is kind of shocking, you know, but if they want to make any noise against Centennial, they're going to need to throw with success. I'm not sure that's going to happen. Um, you know, I know they'll, Jay Sarah's going to fight and they'll, they'll scrap and they'll, you know, try to make it interesting. Um, you know, but Centennial is going to load up, you know, to stop that Jay Sarah run game. That's been primarily their offense in the past two weeks. And um, so, you know, I, I think Centennial is going to, you know, get this one, but it's just going to be a matter of, how fast, you know, it, it does Centennial, is this going to be a slow, methodical, you know, good game? Or are they going to put the points up really quick? So that that will just be between one of those two things. So Okay, we'll see how the lines uh, fare there. Um, here's an interesting game, Scotty. Speaking of Orange Lutheran, young team looking to bounce back from their first loss. They're back on Friday at home at Orange Coast College taking on Damien of Laverne. I don't know if you saw this score. This one surprised me. Last week, did you catch um, that uh, it was on a Thursday game that Damien lost to Pasadena um, 22-21? That was a shocking score for me because I thought Damien had kind of righted the ship because the previous week they blew out Loyola. um, And I was watching Damien because they opened the season and they lost at home I wasn't too shocked, but they did have a tough time with Yorba Linda. I know Yorba Linda's good. I kind of am not surprised that Yorba Linda went in on the road and won that game. But then I thought, I watched Damien the next week beat Loyola 34-7. I was like, oh, wow, that says something about Yorba Linda. Like, wow, that's 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 pretty good showing for Yorba Linda, who I'm voting in the top ten. So I'm watching Damien close. And then I see Damien lose to Pasadena, and I don't know what to think, 22-21. And now they play Orange Lutheran. Man, what's going on with Damien? Yeah, you know, I, I, this is going to be a bounce back game for both these teams because I know they're both coming off of those, you know, to be maybe considering upset losses. You know, Damien did take that defeat to an athletic Pasadena team who I think who was supposed to, you know, they were a good, solid uh, athletic, you know, again, we're seeking passing league, but, you know, when you put the pads on it, I think they even lost their first game. Uh, they were upset that first week too, so take into that consideration. Um, you know, so Damien's only win is you know to Loyola. You know, um, but I was surprised at how physical. Going back to you know Edison against the Olu, who was much you know they were much bigger on offense. Um, but I don't think you know Olu's going to see the same passing game this week or receivers um, in facing Damien. Uh, so I'm looking for Olu to control the line of scrimmage in this one, bounce back to win. You know, as long as they can capitalize on its opportunities, you know, that's what they, they weren't able to do. You know, they hung on, you know, going back and forth, back and forth, and then you make those turnovers, and then, then you know, the game can go haywire really quick. So if Olu is able to do that, I think they'll be all right in this one. Yeah, they're going to want to work on the turnovers, the pa- the penalties, and trying to, you know, like you said, line of scrimmage. That means can they run the ball um, better. Um, so, yeah, bounce back opportunity. And they're at home. So, um, but speaking about uh, home or away, how about St. John Bosco, ranked number one in the country by Max Preps? They're two and zero, and they're playing their third straight road game. Um, of course, they opened the game season at, in Texas against Allen, and then they went to Bishop Amont last week and had a blowout victory. Now they head up to Oregon, University of Oregon specifically, and they take on Central Catholic, who's one and zero. The best number one ranked team in Oregon, but we're talking about the Braves, the number one ranked team in the country. Um, on the road for the third straight game, uh, Cameron Jones had a huge rushing game against uh, for the Braves against B- uh, Bishop Amont. Um, Cameron Jones, 11 carries, 164 yards. 
uh, two touchdowns. I think the Braves ran for almost 300 yards in this game as a team. So, Scotty, do you think Central Catholic playing in Autzen Stadium, um, which is the palace of the state of Oregon, do they have any chance against the Braves' number one ranked team in the country? No chance, Dan. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, yeah, that you know, you know, you know, they are considered they are actually Oregon's number one team, but it's the talent is far and away different in Oregon than it is in California. So, um, you know, they picked up their first win of the season, their first game of the season over State Power Bellevue, twenty four twenty three. And then, you know, Bosco, again, is facing another primarily running team that does not pass. You know, they, they ran for 243 yards in that Bellevue win and only 134 yards passing at 50%. So we know what happens when teams can't throw on Bosco. It gets ugly. That's just the way it is. Um, you know, I don't expect this one to be close on the field. It should be much. It should go how the Amat game went. You know, Bosco is probably going to roll off some big scores without having to drive the ball. Um, you know, you know, I call this one the Nike Classic because yeah. you know it's basically. I think it's an all setup. That's why they're playing in Austin, home of Nike. You know, basically. So um, that's you know because people keep asking me, it's like, how did this game get get? And I said, you know, I, I think it has to do with the the, the connection has to do with um, Nike. Bosco was a Nike football team, um, and so you know that's the connection there and that aspect and so I you know they signed the deal to probably get it to play there um, just another one of those you know perks you have when you're a Nike you know Nike's you know school Nike team so um, but uh, yeah so we'll just you know we'll just have to wait and uh, you know a couple of games before we can actually see Wasco get some you know competition so yeah it could be um, next week uh, on a Saturday they take on uh, Kahuka from Hawaii, who's right now 4-0. Kahuka, 4-0. Uh, they were undefeated last year, 10-0. Um, and 0, and that could be, uh, maybe that team might be better than Allen or Bishop Amont. We'll see. Um, but uh, and, uh, something to keep an eye on, on how that Hawaii team is looking. Um, hey, Scotty, let's uh, wrap up our show here and our look at um, week three. This is an interesting one, Scotty. I don't know if it, if, it, if it is interesting to you or not, but Losal, who we talked about, we kicked off the show with them. They're one and two, lost to two nationally ranked teams in American Heritage of Florida. Basha, the third best team, third ranked team in the state of Arizona. Like I said, had the 14 kids with offers. American Heritage now ranked 14th in the country by Max Preps. Taken on Servite. Um, I believe this game is going to be at Cerritos College, but I'm not sure. I've seen it listed at Veteran Stadium as well. But Servite, they're they're one and two, and they barely beat La Mirada. They were on the road, and they almost got tied at the uh, late in the game. Um, it, it could have been they won this game ten seven, and, and La Mirada they did kick the apparently kicked the 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 score tying field goal. A 22-yarder or so, but then it got pushed back by a penalty, and then they had to kick a 36-yard field goal, and they missed it, and that's how Servite won, and got their first win. Servite's really young. Um, they have 21 new starters. Um, they, they're, uh, they're, they're playing at several, uh, like, three quarterbacks. Their touchdown in this game was, um, shout-out to Leo uh, Hannon, Sophomore threw a touchdown to A.J. Campbell. I think is another sophomore. Um, I think they have another sophomore who's part of the quarterback competition uh, as well with Leo. They're really trying to figure things out, as Coach Thomas said after the game against La Mirada. But then you have Sal that uh, thinks they need to come together more as a team. They're struggling, um, making a lot of penalties, mistakes. Um, on paper, they should have enough talent to, to beat um, Servite, but what if Servite doesn't make a lot of mistakes and runs the ball well or moves the moves the chains and doesn't have many penalties and doesn't turn it over? Maybe this Friars can. This is the kind of team that maybe Servite could take advantage of. But I really feel like Los Al. This is. I mean, they got to win this game. Or I mean, they're one and three, and then they're playing Santa Margarita um, after that. 
Um, and then, you know, this would really alter their season, I think, their projection. they they got to come back and win this game. Servite, I think, is, uh, you know, like they're trying to find themselves. If they drop this game, no one's going to, you know, you know, what changes for them? They're still trying to find themselves. Um, they're, um, the expectations aren't so high on the Friars. But I feel like this is a, almost a must-win for Los Al on Friday. Uh, does this game... Uh, does this intrigue you? You you see some interesting storylines here. Uh, I do now. In the beginning, I didn't, and I'll explain. You know, because you know the valley. You know, the powers that be at Valley think you know are making this the game of the week. Yes. Now, on the surface, you know they're like, "Oh, Servite, Low Sound," but people have don't realize who don't follow deep enough that Servite is not Servite. Right. You know, I know they look at the score. You know. Because the other two games they could actually put, and I thought maybe they would switch them, uh, is Warren and Sarah, or San Clemente and CDM. Yes. Now those are both of those are going to be more competitive games. Sarah, because I don't know about that because they can't throw the ball. You get Nico, you know he may, you know, that one's an interesting game because I know Warren struggled a little bit, and then you had CDM and the San Clemente. They're both undefeated. That one could be a good, yes. but it's two OC teams, and I don't, you know, they they very rarely put two OC teams if it's not the top rated teams. That's just that's just the way. Valley, I don't know. That's just the way I've always looked at it. You know, if you ever look at the schedule, they barely. It's always usually an Edison and a Low South team are the only two Orange County games that they always put on. So it, that's just something to keep an eye on. But I think those other two games are being streamed. But you know. I, because this one could get ugly quick. <laughs> um, you know, for Servite, you know, they have to be lucky they won't get to see Makai Lemon, or so we think. You know, you have to, you'll have to see if he sits this one out. Um, um, and then the only fighting chance Servite has is that Los Al has, hasn't looked the same dominant, does hasn't had the same dominant passing game without Lemon, you know. And he, like I said, even in that loss I mentioned earlier with the Heritage, you know, the other receivers, nobody else caught the ball. You know, we talked about the after getting ejected with this, you know, they struggled with the passing game. Um, but, you know, like I said, Los Al was going against some stout secondary players, you know. So, you know, Servite's still trying to find their offense. Like you mentioned, they only gotten the one TD. Um, you know, Los Al should still control this game. You know, even if they don't do it by air, I think Damon Henderson has shown the reliability yeah. in the running game. So I think that's going to take because I don't think Servite has enough up front to sustain that. Um, I know La Mirada, I think they their quarterback, their running back, I think Zachary, who was actually a La Habra transfer, ran. I think he had either ran for 103 or 100. He had over 100 yards rushing. I know that. So you know, they just couldn't sustain enough to uh, to get more points. You know. But um, so that that that's why it, that's why it's interesting because then we know it's Servite, we know it's Thomas. You know, sometimes he can do some things. You know, so if they don't have Lemon in this, it makes it a little bit more intriguing to see um, because of that. You know, like you said, that ejection. Now going back to the ejection, so that I had mentioned earlier that I saw another play in that Mission Viejo Poly game where Travis Anderson made a pick came across the field, picked the ball off, and his momentum carried out of bounds. And as soon as he, you know, he got the ball, he took the ball and he just chucked it across the field and he took his helmet off and threw it in the air out of bounds and put his hands up in the air like Superman or like, you know, like, look at me. And I was like, are you kidding me? I mean, no flag, though. And I don't know if it was because he was out of bounds or the ref did. But for one, I thought he would get it for delay, get for taking the ball and just chucking it, throwing it across the field, and then ripping his helmet off and throwing it in the air out of bounds. You know, he was and that was it wasn't on the field of play, so I don't know if that's why. Yeah, he didn't get the flag, but still, I mean, it was bad down. I mean, I, I mean, it was just, I mean, that talk about like. I mean, and that's what I'm talking about with these kids, with the stuff that, you know, like they, they think they can do or get away with, you know, and, 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 you know, that the ball would have been already on the, it would have only been moved to the one yard line, but, you know, it just made me, reminded me of when I was watching that game and, 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 you know, the things that Lemon did and the things that everybody else has done. And, and, but I mean, you have to, you know, I hope, I don't, you know, I hope he, somebody said something to him and, and, um, because that was terrible. You know, I was just, it shouldn't even have been done. I mean, I'm kind of embarrassed, you know, for the kid 
You know, I mean, it was a great play. And then he had another pick later on, and I don't think, you know, maybe somebody talked to him, because then he had another intercept, too, similar. You know, with a deep ball came across, made another nice pick. So, you know, he had two, but... Yeah, you got to be you got to be smarter than that. You, yeah. you know, just play with like you've done it, you've been there. You know, so anyhow, that was that is, my little. Yep, and that's our message for all the young football fans and parents and coaches listening to the podcast. Talk to your players this week about those personal uh, unsportsmanlike and uh, tighten things up and go make those plays. Get back to the end zone. Try to win the game and stay on the field and. Um, We'll be talking about you on the on the Trinity OC Football Podcast, right, Scotty? Exactly. All righty. Well, hey, Scotty, great talking to you, and um, and and great talking about all this stuff, uh, games and otherwise. So, um, and thanks again for getting on uh, on Labor Day. Uh, no, no, no worries, Dan. It was it was um, glad I can oblige uh, doing this early for you. All right. So for Scott Barajas, I'm Dan Albano, and thanks for joining us again on the Trinity OC Football Podcast.